Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hey, Molly. Uh, my name's Faith. I am calling from California, and um, I'm 24. Um, today was like one of those extreme BPD days where I was experiencing the void, um, extreme rage, and uh, sadness just all up in one day. And, um, you know, I'm just wondering, like, if you have any advice, like actual tools for the rage because for me like the biggest thing I struggle with with my BPD is my extreme rage and like public freak out outbursts anger like that is my problem and I've tried to get help for my BPD going into treatment you know hospitalizations all that stuff and nowhere so far on my journey have I found any real help as far as the anger and rage goes, it's never, I feel like nobody ever talks about that or focuses on it. I ask, what can I do when I'm so violently angry? And they just give me these tools that just don't make a difference. So yeah, that's my biggest problem. If you got any advice, that would be sick. Um, and yeah, your podcast is tight. So thank you. Thanks, Faye, for your voicemail. I think my podcast is pretty tight, too, but I'm kind of biased because it's my podcast. (laughs) Welcome to Back from the Borderline, everyone, the podcast for anyone who identifies with symptoms of BPD or just my fellow emotional, messy human beings overcome their biggest obstacle themselves. I'm your host, Molly, and today we're talking about anger. We're talking about a rage and Faye articulated this so well in her voicemail and Faye, I just have to say, I love how just like you're asking about anger and rage, but you literally sound so chill and so laid back and you're giving like super stoner surfer energy in your delivery of that voicemail. I'm not calling you a stoner, but you just seem so chilled. And so just the dichotomy between your relaxed nature and your voicemail to the question about deep rage, just like chef's kiss. It was really good. So if you'd like to ask a question on the podcast, share how the podcast has impacted your life, you can actually do that by going to backfromtheborderline.com and clicking the microphone icon. You can leave me a voicemail and you may hear it on a future episode. And not every voicemail inspires a whole ass episode of its own, but Faye, yours did because I felt like I've been wanting to talk about anger and rage for a really long time. So let's do it. Faye talked about having one of those extreme BPD days, feeling the void, sadness, anger, rage, all of it at one time. And if you're listening to this podcast, I bet you can relate to that because some of us feel all the feels at once. 
And I hear you, Faye, you're saying, give me some actual tools and you've tried to get help and you feel like you haven't had any real suggestions that help. I hear you and I can relate. I know how it feels to struggle with that boiling anger that just pops out when you least expect it, when you feel like a pressure cooker and the littlest thing can just make you feel like you want to explode. And today... We're going to go into it. We're going to dive under the hood of anger. And if you're a long-term listener of the podcast, you know I don't just give you this BPD one, two, three shit. I don't just give you a couple of DBT skills, pat you on the butt and send you on your way. No, we need to find out what's underneath these feelings. What's underneath the anger? What's underneath the rage? What is anger and rage? How do we define it? What is the spiritual aspect of what's going on here? We're going into it today. I did hours upon hours of research on anger and rage, and I'm going to share everything I've got with you. Stuff that has helped me overcome these outbursts in my own life, and I hope that it will help you. I don't think I've done this much in-depth preparation and research for one episode since my splitting series, which was episodes one through three of the podcast. I do a lot of preparation for other episodes, but I really went in this time because I feel like this is such an important thing that so many of us need to get a handle on. And learning a few skills isn't going to cut it. So many of us are in the same boat as Faye feeling like they need more. They need a deeper understanding. So I'm about to give it to you. Let's get right in to talking about anger. The best place to start off when talking about any kind of concept is really going to the pure definitions. Anger is defined as a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Rage is defined as very strong, violent, uncontrollable anger. So rage is simply extremely intense anger. According to Paul Ekman, a psychologist and expert on emotions and facial expressions, anger is one of the six basic emotions along with fear, happiness, sadness, disgust, and surprise. However, anger is actually often labeled as a secondary emotion. And this is because we use anger to protect ourselves from the more vulnerable primary feelings, such as fear, hurt, rejection, sadness, and anxiety. Primary feelings are usually what we feel right before anger or rage set in. So anger and rage are nothing more than shades of a protection mechanism to protect us from vulnerable things like fear, hurt, rejection, and sadness and anxiety. Anger makes your blood flow. It makes your heart rate increase. It makes adrenaline pump through our systems and creates a surge of energy. 
rage and resentment are often corrosive to the people who generate them and also to people around them. And just like volcanic fire in the psychological sense, rage really destroys us from within and then also burns or singes the other people around us. There is such a thing called healthy anger. And healthy anger is like a preventative fire. When it's expressed in a healthy and constructive way, anger can lead to increased understanding, deeper and greater communication. But unhealthy anger is like an out of control wildfire that becomes destructive, leads to increased hurt, destroys intimacy and understanding. Uncontrolled, chronic anger can even lead to multiple health issues like high blood pressure, increased risk of heart disease, and even a weakened immune system and other immune diseases as well. Aristotle, you know that I love me a philosopher. Aristotle wrote that angry decision makers have a difficult time being angry at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way. A negative emotional state may prevent someone from making rational, objective decisions and then can lead to undesirable outcomes like increased aggression and loss of control. So what we can see here is that even philosophers thousands of years ago, some of the most still respected minds today knew that anger had its purpose, but anger without proper direction and control not only is destructive, but it makes it impossible for us to be effective in our lives. When we're thinking about neurology, in the brain, the neurological circuits of rage have something called a self-recruiting effect, which means the more you indulge in an explosion of rage, the angrier and angrier you're likely to get because more and more nerve connections become triggered into joining this rage reaction. The risk of physiological damage also rises. A 10-year study of nearly 3,700 Americans found that hot-tempered men were 20% more likely to have died than those who stayed calm. So already we can see that uncontrolled, chronic, unhealthy anger is not only dangerous for us interpersonally and when it comes to effectiveness in our lives, it's also dangerous for our actual health it can really lead to death in the long term. Sorry to interrupt your flow. We'll be right back to the episode shortly. Depending on where you're tuning in from, at this point, you may or may not hear a quick advertisement. To upgrade to the ad-free experience, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium access. So let's talk about how we view anger as a society. 
especially in our Western world, anger is often considered a negative and destructive emotion that needs to be suppressed. If you're a long-term listener of the podcast, you know that I don't believe that there is such a thing as a negative or positive emotion. Good or bad feelings don't exist. All feelings have a place. All feelings should be felt and processed. It's just that chronic corrosive behavior patterns can develop from feelings that aren't processed and moved through and named and truly felt. So anger can actually be a positive response when it's used constructively. It can be a powerful motivating force to push us towards achieving our goals in the face of problems and barriers. Anger can be a way to communicate our personal boundaries if someone has done something wrong to us. And when it's expressed, anger can be an amazing first step to try and solve a problem or bring to light injustices. Think about how many people are abused in this world and when they express their healthy anger as a child, for example, who may have experienced some traumatic thing like sexual abuse, they learn early on that their healthy anger is not safe for them to express, so it becomes suppressed. But when that rage appears as a young child in response to injustices, that is actually a healthy, adaptive, righteous anger. Not all forms of anger are created equally. When it comes to anger awareness, the person having trouble getting a handle on their anger is often the last to know how toxic and damaging their anger can be to the people around them. The resulting communication and relational strain often occurs as the other people around you start to manage you or walk on eggshells around you in an effort to control your emotions for you or avoid explosions. This is something that I think we need to take a hard look at. If you're honest with yourself, the last thing you want is for people to be scared to share their feelings with you or tell you the truth because they're afraid of how you'll react. For me, this was huge. I was told by my partner Zaz this very same thing, that he was worried about sharing his genuine feelings and thoughts with me, and he would often weigh in his mind if it was worth telling me the truth about certain things because he didn't know if he was ready to have to deal with the explosion. And for me, I never have expressed my anger physically. I don't physically lash out. I've never physically put my hands on another person, but my anger verbally could be very, very powerful. And I encourage you to sit with this because if you don't get a handle on your anger, people will just walk around you. They're not going to tell you the truth. 
They're not going to be able to tell you how they really feel and it will make it impossible for you to develop true intimacy with people, which I know is what each and every one of us deeply wants. So it's imperative that you get a handle on your anger. It's also worth noting that some people are more predisposed to getting angry than other people. Some reasons for this include genetic predisposition, sociocultural influence, or their family background. Psychologists believe people who are easily angered have a low tolerance for frustration, meaning simply that they feel that they should not have to be subjected to frustration, inconvenience, or annoyance. This was a big one for me. I recently discovered this incredible psychologist who was mentioned by Gabor Mate, who is another amazing writer and doctor who writes a lot about trauma. His name is Gordon Newfeld, and I watched a YouTube video with him yesterday about how to deal with anger in children, and <laughs> watching it, I was like, well, this is still applicable for me as a grown-ass adult, that... Anger in children is often not anger at all. It's frustration. When a child is displaying outbursts of anger, even maybe physically hitting their sibling, it's showing that they're frustrated with something because they're unable to get a genuine need met and they don't have the emotional or psychological ability to even identify that within themselves. So this experience of being so frustrated because their need isn't being met, they don't have any way to articulate that or even know it, so they strike out in anger. And it made me think about us, all of us who are listening to this podcast, how many of us are simply reacting in explosions of anger because we have this low tolerance for frustration, inconvenience, or annoyance And we are stuck in this arrested development of this childlike state that we're in where we're unable to get our needs met. If you are constantly feeling angry and you are feeling like you're exploding with rage, there is absolutely a need there that's not getting met. And throughout the rest of this episode, we'll be able to slowly uncover that. But you're going to have to take the work from this podcast out into your real life and start doing some serious self-reflection because if like Faye who called into the podcast, you're constantly feeling stuck, there's a reason why skills aren't working for you. It's because you likely haven't asked yourself what's underneath. What are the needs that maybe aren't being met that's giving rise to this frustration, which is then leading to the outbursts? Let's talk about healthy versus unhealthy anger because there are both telling the difference is important because you'll be better able to understand whether your anger is constructive healthy adaptive anger and be confident when expressing it or whether you might want to seek ways of understanding and managing anger that might be unhealthy, destructive, or maladaptive for you and the people around you. Notice how I'm not calling it good or bad anger, because 
that splitting. That isn't a great way of looking at it. We're talking about healthy, constructive, adaptive versus unhealthy, destructive, or maladaptive. Healthy anger might seem like an oxymoron because anger, we have been conditioned as a society, especially in the Western world, and especially for me coming from the Midwest, also having spent a few years living in the UK, I experienced these stereotypical stiff British upper lip where expressing your emotions is extremely looked down upon. So we're conditioned to just simply label anger as bad. And there are lots of misconceptions about anger that it is inherently a toxic and negative emotion that we shouldn't feel. But that's not true. Anger is something that we all experience. It's the body's natural reaction when something isn't right. And in its healthiest expressions, anger motivates us towards our goals or it gets us fired up to fight injustices or set boundaries. Healthy anger is experienced as a vibrant, fresh emotion that is focused on resolving a problem or communicating an injustice or setting a firm boundary. And healthy anger is a feeling that is often short-lived and it dissolves and goes away quickly once there is a working towards a resolution of the injustice or problem. Healthy anger is expressed with little or no vindictiveness. It's not about being vengeful, gaining power, or hurting another person verbally or physically. It's communicated clearly and effectively. And when we're expressing healthy anger, we don't stay preoccupied with it or hold grudges long after the event has passed. Maybe the clearest indicator that your anger is healthy is if it leaves you feeling okay about yourself and the other person once it's been expressed. If you're anything like me, I have not used anger in the healthiest, most adaptive ways, especially in my early adult life so far when I look back on it. So much of my anger was vengeful. It was grudge holding. It was me wanting to make other people feel bad because they made me feel bad. And if you are feeling similarly, then it is unlikely that you have been using your anger in a healthy way. From what we've learned so far, healthy anger alerts us when something is wrong, we communicate our need, and then it goes away when our boundary violation or injustice or problem has been addressed and we are back to feeling safe and unviolated. We don't hold a grudge and we move on. But for me, <laughs> that is not how I often dealt with my anger. So to summarize, healthy anger is allowing that surge of power you feel, but it doesn't require acting out. So 
Healthy anger is a surge of power in your body. Some people might describe it like surges of electricity or waves of anger. It doesn't require any acting out. Your body can remain still. Your face and muscles can even remain relaxed when you're feeling anger. From the outside, you can look quite focused and quite relaxed. People might not even guess that you're angry. But allowing yourself to feel and bear witness for yourself to that surge of power that you get from your healthy anger, it can lead to a decrease in muscle tension. It may allow you to notice that surge of power. And if you sit with it and observe these waves and surges, you'll likely see them reduce in power until you feel relatively still and relaxed. And you may feel that the anger has then been released. This is what a healthy release of anger looks like. Anger is a physiological process. When we allow the surge of anger in this way, we allow that physiological process to occur and run its course. This is literally what feeling your feelings look like. You feel it, observe it, let it run its course without acting it out, which means acting it out passive aggressively, popping off verbally, lashing out physically. But by contrast, when we act in rage like this, we are effectively distracting ourselves from the emotion of anger and we don't allow it to metabolize through our bodies. When we repress or suppress our anger on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we are also not allowing that surge of anger to properly occur and run its course. So do you see that even those of us who have a ton of anger and actually just suppress it and let it out maybe passive aggressively and smile and then want to like murder everyone in our minds, it's just as unhealthy as the person who actually screams obscenities at someone or lashes out. It's all the same physiologically inside of us. It might have different social ramifications, but inside we're still just like metabolizing food. You need to digest food. You need to digest your emotions. So if you don't allow your anger to rise, to notice it and sit with it until it slowly reduces in power, you're not digesting the emotions properly. So now let's talk about unhealthy anger. Unhealthy anger generates thoughts of wanting to hurt someone else, make them feel what you feel, or worse. The feelings of rage can even be so strong that sometimes you feel in danger of losing control. And this anger can be really scary because you risk losing so much more than just your temper. You can certainly be sure that your anger is damaging if it's harming other people, emotionally or physically, but also if it's having adverse effects on yourself, on your ability to keep a job, on maybe your health, maybe you experience autoimmune issues, joint pain, or other health issues. 
and other signs of unhealthy anger is if you find it hard to let go of your rage and if after the event you are ruminating on negative thoughts towards yourself or other people. The root of unhealthy anger usually lies within our emotional baggage from the past. If you suspect that underneath all your rage and resentment, there is a deep sense of hurt or sadness, feelings of rejection, being ignored, shamed, or humiliated, then your anger is likely to stem from unprocessed feelings from the past rather even than the present source that has re-triggered it. This is why so often sometimes we'll experience someone cutting us off in traffic or something happening that someone might say, why are you so freaking out so bad? It wasn't that big of a deal. This is because oftentimes for those of us especially who identify with symptoms of BPD, the root of our anger actually lies in the past, unprocessed emotional baggage. And it can be hard to identify or even admit that underneath our anger lies all these other feelings. This denial isn't very surprising because these intrinsic repressed emotions might be so tightly suppressed and defended against as a way of overcoming the hurt, sadness, abandonment from your past. It was a way of survival for you. It was an adaptive strategy. But now, as we've talked on so many episodes in the past, is that very often things that protected us when we were younger become the very things that keep us stuck as adults. And often, unhealthy, maladaptive, toxic anger is the consequence of these repressed feelings That repression protected us when we were young and now it's keeping us in a circle of hell in our adult lives. Gabor Mate and many other medical doctors and health practitioners have found that abnormal expression of emotion, especially anger, can contribute to bad health and illness, as we already mentioned. And Gabor Mate describes two abnormal ways of expressing anger. So abnormal, I also don't like the word normal, but abnormal he's using in a medical way here, I'm sure. But these are unhealthy, maladaptive ways of expressing anger. So these two ways that he describes are suppression and repression. So Suppression and repression of anger means not releasing the anger, holding it in somehow. If we choose to do that consciously, it's called suppression. And if we choose to do that unconsciously, which means we're not realizing we're doing it, it's called repression. That was something new that I learned. So if 
you know that you're holding in your anger and you're very much aware of it. You're suppressing your emotions. If you are not aware of it at all and you're just lashing out with no conscious awareness that it's actually like emotions that are pent up, you are repressing. So another maladaptive way of expressing anger, according to Gabor Mate, is rage. And rage, he says, is the unregulated acting out and exaggerated eventing of anger. In rage, we experience tightening of the voice, shallow breathing, and muscle tension. Mate explains that rage is often confused with anger, but actually rage is not anger. It's a form of anxiety. So it's interesting because according to the definition of the dictionary, rage is extreme anger. But here, Gabor Mate is saying that rage isn't anger, it's anxiety. And the other psychologist that we quoted earlier in the episode said that rage and anger are often frustration. But what we can gather from all of this is that anger and rage are cover stories for other emotions like fear, anxiety, frustration. So in some cases of rage, we might do things like random verbal outbursts, physical violence, or something called stress rolling, which I've never heard of before. It's stress rolling is taking your anger out on other people. And because these are unhealthy, we obviously want to stop doing these things and find a healthier way to express our anger instead, which we will go into. So to summarize, unhealthy anger is irrational and definitive. It's more based on emotions than facts. Unhealthy anger can make us feel impulsive and out of control of our actions. Unhealthy anger is not conducive to conversation and it doesn't make space for problem solving. This unhealthy maladaptive anger isn't productive and it doesn't address the anger itself. It alienates other people and it leaves no room for open communication. We'll get right back to the episode, but we're going to take another quick break for a word from our advertisers. Depending on where you're located, you may or may not hear an ad slotted into these breaks, but I'd like to give you a heads up either way. So now you'll either hear an ad or you won't, or I'll just go right back to the show. Thanks for your patience. So how do we channel our anger in a healthier way? So... To put this into practice, from today, try your best to start to notice the physiological feeling of anger inside of you. Notice how that surge of power that we described feels to you. I don't know whether it will feel like powerful surges of electricity, waves, or something else, because we're all different. Just notice how it feels for you. As we've mentioned so many 
other times on this podcast, very often, even though we describe ourselves as people with big feelings and are very emotional, we're often quite disconnected from our bodies, meaning that other people see our emotions, they see our emotions and our explosive reactions and maybe the drama that surrounds us in our lives, but for us inside, we're actually not really taking the time to digest, as I mentioned before, our feelings and to really feel what they feel like and name the sensations because we need to experience what the manifestation of different emotions feel like as they rise within our body before we act on them. But so often we feel these feelings and we react before we even have a chance to digest them. And you must begin to start noticing these surges of power or however anger comes up for you. For me, when I get angry, I can really feel my heart start beating. I start breathing really fast and I feel the need to say something. It's almost like I'm going to explode. So notice how it feels for you. And as you become more aware of that surge of power or however your anger is manifesting, you can start to allow that surge of power to occur and run its course. And sooner or later, you might find that you can allow these manifestations of anger, that surge of energy, without acting it out, without reacting, so that your body can remain relaxed and still while the emotion digests, while it releases, while you process it. And on the outside, people might see nothing dramatic, just you looking super relaxed and maybe focused. And you might start to notice how experiencing and allowing that surge of power can lead to your muscle tension reducing, to a feeling of relaxation and stillness over time. And it might even feel like a wave or waves of power and sensation that go through your body, followed by a relaxed stillness once the anger has been released. Give it a try. You're going to mess up sometimes. It's not going to be easy. You might explode a couple of times, but try to take accountability for that explosion. Let the people around you know that you're working on digesting your emotions, feeling them, and take a step away if you need to, to go digest this anger. Also, it's going to help you so much because you know those cringe and shame spirals you feel after you lash out or act on an emotion without giving yourself a chance to digest it. You're going to feel so much better knowing that you allowed the emotion to rise and pass and it's going to decrease the drama and chaos in your life by a lot. Once you're able to experience anger as that surge of power or waves of energy in your body while your body remains still and perhaps leading to more relaxation as you get better at it and not acting it out, you can move on to another step. So once you experience anger, 
as I just described, you can then gain a new ability, a superpower, if you will. (laughs) You will gain the superpower of choice of whether to act out your anger or not. And when we feel anger, it might be because we're in a situation that requires action. And anger might be your mind and body's way of giving you the energy to execute that action. So you have a choice at this point. You can just experience the anger as the surge of power, digest it, let it lead to relaxation without acting it out, or you can actually choose to use your anger constructively. And this is different to rage because at this stage, you're choosing to act it out in a regulated and deliberate way when it serves you. Another quote I found from Dr. Kaplan is, anger does not require hostile acting out. First and foremost, it's a physiological process to be experienced. Second, it has cognitive value. It provides essential information. Since anger does not exist in a vacuum, if I feel anger, it must be in response to some perception on my part. It may be a response to loss or the threat of it in a personal relationship. It may be a signal of real or threatened invasion of my boundaries. I'm greatly empowered without harming anyone if I permit myself to experience the anger and to contemplate what might have triggered it. And depending on the circumstances, I may choose to manifest the anger in some way or let go of it. The key is that I have not suppressed the experience of it. I may choose to display my anger as necessary in words or deeds, but I do not need to act it out in a driven fashion as uncontrolled rage. Healthy anger leaves the individual, not the unbridled emotion in charge. Anger is the energy mother nature gives us as little kids to stand forward on our own behalf and say, I matter. This is a quote from Joanne Peterson, who is a therapist in Canada. She goes on to say that the healthy energy of anger and the hurtful energy of emotional and physical violence is that anger respects boundaries. Standing forward on your own behalf does not invade anyone else's boundaries. So Faye, you asked for a strategy. That's one. Faye, your instructions for this week, as well as any other listener who needs work on this, and I feel like we can all relate, is learning to notice what anger feels like for you. How does it feel physically in your body when it rises? And can you learn to sit with it, notice it like a scientist, and watch how it does pass and decrease in power as you allow it to digest through your system? And then once it subsides, you decide, do you want to act or do you want to let it pass? And if you choose to act or say something, It needs to be respectful with the need to communicate your need without disrespecting the boundaries of anyone else. 
taking this into a different direction, I think it's also important to ask what your anger wants from you and if it can be your teacher. One of my favorite authors and spiritual teachers that's come across my doorstep in my recovery path has been Martha Beck. And she writes a lot about asking yourself what your emotion of anger wants from you and what you can learn from it. Martha Beck believes that anger simply says something here is not as it should be. That our anger is telling us that something in our life or in our immediate reality that can't be tolerated or something that is lacking that needs to change. And Martha believes that anger won't let us rest until we've figured out what's excessive or missing or both. And she takes the suggestion that I gave you before to the next level. So Martha suggests while you sit and watch how this anger appears for you and notice how it physiologically manifests in your body, the next step is to ask your anger, and it might feel crazy, but give it a try. Ask your anger as if it's a separate part of you, if it has a message for you today. Ask it, what do you need to get rid of or at least stand up to? What do you need to gain or what is a need that you need met? And how can you express this or request this in a way that invites communication, problem solving, love and connection? Maybe that's a relationship in your life that's been making you nervous or a relationship or situation that feels unfair or non-reciprocal or draining and maybe you need to tell the truth about that and martha mentions in an article that i was reading while i was preparing for this is that that the heart of really hot anger and rage is something inside of you that's saying that something needs to change and that changes are often really freaking scary A lot of us don't like conflict or we don't like or want to face telling unpleasant truths, but choosing to ignore that is abandoning your integrity. A quote from her in this article is, that's how it works. Don't act bravely and you end up raging pointlessly. You frighten your children, destroying your relationships, hurting the people you love and care about. She writes, so I will use the hot energy of my anger to push me through the cold dread of changing my life in powerful, honest ways. I will handle the conflict that results, the scary changes that result. The person who's caused my anger may end up being a better friend or no friend at all. Either way, the relationship will be aligned with my integrity. And so anger teaches me. Anger becomes my teacher. So how can your anger become your teacher? What is your anger telling you that you need to change? And you really need to master the first step that I recommended, which is just noticing how anger feels for you and creating enough stillness and pause to even notice that. Because without being able to stop 
and notice how your anger manifests and digest it to the point where you can watch it die down, you won't even be able to get to the point where you can ask it what needs to change, what it's trying to teach you and show you, what boundaries need to be set. Do you get what I mean? So this is really important work. So you know I love doing research on Reddit. I love searching through forums for real advice from real human beings that are going through the same thing. So I searched through anger management forums, complex PTSD forums, BPD forums, all sorts. And I picked out my favorite responses that weren't just like walk away exercise, right? Just basic things. I picked some creative, helpful, interesting ones that I thought were worth sharing. So this first one says, to deal with my anger, I indulge my mind in similar fantasies and I work it out through my body. Basically, I welcome it and feel it as I slowly crush a pillow or growl. It can be important to do it slowly so you don't overwhelm your nervous system. I personally can't handle big cathartic movements like screaming and fast punching because I dissociate. I like to stay in control and feel every ounce of anger so it feels safe in my body. I love this one because it goes along right with our expert advice that we found from Gabor Mate and these other psychologists that talk about feeling it manifest. So another one says, beside my bath, I have an old and empty shampoo bottle. It was a nice shampoo and the bottle is extremely durable. I can squeeze and strangle it as hard as I possibly can and the bottle doesn't break. Sometimes I scream or shout while I do this and I'll keep on trying to asphyxiate the shampoo bottle until I'm completely exhausted. And then I'll lie back in the bath and laugh at myself for assaulting a shampoo bottle with so much rage. I love this one. I don't even think I have to explain why. I just think it's great and it's very creative. I myself have gone out into my car. I think cars are one of the best places to scream and punch things. I do like to go and scream out into pillows sometimes in my car and it really helps when I'm feeling rage. Another person says, I have a strong fight response and I had to learn to manage my anger. A lot of it for me is about managing my expectations Focusing on what I can control and accepting reality as it is, not how I think it should be. It's a lot of internal work on perspective taking and consciously teaching myself better perspective over time. This next one is actually from the BPD subreddit. This person says, anger is a great tool. It's an indicator that I need to act on something. Emotions are data, not directives. I love that, by the way. Sidebar for me, emotions are data not directives. I love it. This next one says, anger is a good tool. It's an indicator I need to act on something. Emotions are data, not directives. I love that. I have to choose my actions carefully when I'm experiencing anger. So this next one is from the BPD subreddit. It's a little bit longer. And the question on this particular post was, 
all about do you experience crazy BPD rage and how have you overcome it? So this person writes, I used to experience rage is what they mean. This used to be my number one problem. It absolutely destroyed some of my friendships and relationships. So here's what helped me. First off, rage like that isn't actually anger. When you blow up that big, it's fear. Deep down, pants shitting fear. Absolute terror. Think about the things that set you off. Are they rejections? Are they abandonment? Are they something that challenges your identity? Those were the big three for me. Find out what's causing it for you. Sidebar for me, it's like what Martha Beck suggested us to do, right? What's underneath? What's it trying to tell you? What's it trying to teach you? So this Redditor says, find out what's causing it for you. If it's not immediately obvious, start writing down what happens when you blow up and then go back and look at it. You should start to see a pattern. Second thing, pay attention to your body. Your body tries to warn you before things like this happen. For me, it feels like I have a ball of magma erupting towards my lower abdomen. I can feel that starting. I know that that's what I'm looking for and it gives me a few minutes to do something before I completely flip my shit. Your body's signals might be different, but try to find what they are and recognize them. Again, bingo. See, some of these suggestions are starting to look a lot similar, right? They're talking about, this Redditor is saying, how does it manifest? How does it feel? They continue by saying, thirdly, okay, this was the hardest thing for me. Either communicating or walking away once you've recognized what's going on. Walking away isn't so hard. Excuse yourself to the bathroom, take some deep breaths, and think about what you've just experienced. My thoughts usually go, I feel blank because so-and-so said blank. And then telling myself that it's okay to feel afraid and that it was not their intention to reject me or whatever it is. I try to take the most charitable interpretation and give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Now, communicating that to the person is hard for me. I've practiced on my ex. We live together. So he'll say something and I'll start getting that feeling in my stomach and I'll tell him what's going on. It helps me get in touch with the true emotion instead of going through the rage defense mechanism. When you tell me about a cute girl you saw at the gas station, it makes me feel like you don't care about me anymore or whatever. Bad example because we're more like besties now, but you get my point. Saying it out loud for me takes a lot of the power away from it. Do I really think that he's not my friend anymore because he saw a cute girl? No, that would be silly. But there's that silly part of my brain that goes on high alert anytime there's anything that could possibly be interpreted as a rejection or abandonment. I just have to explain that to the part of my brain that's angry. We're cool. You can turn the high alert off. Long story short, get in touch with your fear. You can hear so many similarities in the advice of these kind human beings on Reddit. And as I mentioned, not all of these are from BPD Redditors. Anger is something that so many of us deal with. And, you know, I think for many of us, I know this is true for me, is that for most of my life, I simply didn't know what I felt. I couldn't really pause and notice that my heart was rising or that my breath was short, or that my thoughts were racing. I couldn't 
call out even my own fatigue or my own hunger. And I finally started to understand how important it was to communicate the needs that were under my anger and rage and frustration and to notice and name the feelings in my body. That's when things start to change. Anger is a trickster, my friends. It's super convincing. It's super powerful. And it tries to make us act on it. But it's like a wave. It always passes. It's just an energy. All emotions are just an energy married to a thought. And it's temporary. It will rise to a peak and it will fade away. As long as we don't hold it in or pretend it's not happening or act on it in rage before we can digest it. And underneath anger, as we've described, is an array of different emotions, these vulnerable emotions that we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling, the fear, the vulnerability, the anxiety. And anger is just how it comes out. And those underlying drivers can be as simple as not getting what we want, some core unhappiness or abandonment fears that get triggered, maybe loss, rejection, some challenge to our identity or an attachment we have. And it might even be some kind of moral righteousness, like we feel like we have to prove to other people that we're right. I also had to release the need to prove to other people that my opinion was the right one. When I released that, a lot of my suffering disappeared with it too. So you already know I love me, some Martha MFing Beck. I love Martha Beck. So I found an article by her called The Two Angers. And so you know what time it is. It's story time. I'm going to read you this little article by her. She writes, there are two ways to be angry. One can ruin your life and the other can save it. During these difficult months and years, we've probably felt both kinds of anger, which is fine, but not if we can't tell one from the other. We may mistake destructive anger for constructive anger and end up creating a world of hurt for ourselves and others. I recently learned this from an old friend of mine. I mean, an old friend, like he recently turned 756. But for someone so aged, not to mention so dead, he's been a vibrant source of guidance for me my whole life. His name is Dante Alighieri, and his epic poem, The Divine Comedy, is an incredibly rich source of wisdom. I don't share Dante's 13th century religious beliefs, but damn, the dude was a whiz with psychological metaphors. Here are some ideas I got from him that changed my life. The two kinds of anger. The Divine Comedy describes Dante, the main character, going on a fictional journey down through hell, the inferno, and up to heaven, paradise. 
Near the bottom of the inferno, Dante encounters a river of boiling hot blood. It's full of former people who lived lives dominated by their own violence. They swim around, hating their situation and each other, trying to bite each other's faces off. Let's call this kind of anger blind rage. Later, after Dante has passed all the way through the inferno and is headed up towards paradise, he encounters another, much less horrifying kind of anger. Various wise souls teach him to deal with injustice or trouble by perceiving problems, making free choices, gaining information, and acting to change upsetting situations. Let's call this discerning anger. The Blind Rage Brain You can read more about these two types of anger in my book, The Way of Integrity. By the way, highly recommend that book. I've done an entire podcast episode on that book. I am not sponsored by Martha Beck. I just freaking love that book. She writes, While researching the book, I learned that blind rage comes from something psychologist Jonathan Haidt calls, quote, the righteous mind. There's a fairly primitive part of our brain that flips into fight mode when we feel threatened. Even if the threat is only imagined, or if it's triggered by a total stranger on the internet who happens to disagree with us. Once this area of the brain takes over, we get angrier and angrier, even if nothing changes around us. We may join together with others who share our anger and talk one another into a true fury. Blind rage can turn a group of perfectly normal people into a murderous mob. It gives us one single instruction, no matter what's happening, and that instruction is attack. When this kind of anger is driving us, we know we're right and nothing will dissuade us. In fact, if you show righteous, raging people solid evidence that directly contradicts their beliefs, their beliefs actually get stronger, not weaker. Of course, this makes no logical sense, but the part of our brain that does blind rage has no access to logic, only the white-hot conviction that we are absolutely right and others are absolutely wrong, and we must keep attacking until everyone agrees with us. The discerning brain. Where blind rage is all about passing judgment, discerning anger is about making judgments. When our discerning minds experience something that triggers anger, we don't dive immediately into that river of boiling blood and start biting faces. Instead, we take a deep breath and take a closer look. We get curious. What are the facts at play in this situation? What really happened? Why are people arguing and what do they really want? Often, the discerning mind finds unexpected information, opens up new perspectives, allows compassion from others, and invents creative solutions that actually solve our problems. It lacks the punch of self-righteous satisfaction that comes from blind rage, and it makes our lives and the world a better place. If you decide to react to upsetting situations with blind rage, you may enjoy that initial plunge into boiling blood. It may thrill you to post a shaming, judgmental Facebook post or spend hours gossiping with a friend who, to be honest, probably gossips about you with other people too, since gossip is a blood sport people often play for pleasure. But the good feeling won't last. Blind rage gives us the kind of energy people get from a hit of cocaine, Discerning anger gives us the kind of energy people get from healthy food. Focusing on 
cultivating discerning anger rather than blind rage can be the difference between a life in the inferno and a path to paradise. So how do we get out of blind rage and into discerning anger? Here's a step-by-step process that works for me. Step one, recognize. The first step in escaping blind rage is recognizing we're in it. At some point during that ranting volley of enraged emails with a family member or a physical mob that turns violent or decades of fondling the same hidden resentment, we realize this is not getting me to happiness. It's just wearing me out. We may have a moment of manic glee when we manage to hurt someone we hate, but it's not joy and it doesn't last. Once we've recognized that our anger is hurting us rather than making us happy, it's time to switch from blind rage to discerning anger. Here's a way to do that. Step two, focus on your core values. Psychologist Stephen Hayes discovered that when we stop focusing on other people's badness and instead at our own values, we shut down our fight response. In effect, we climb blinking out of our own boiling blood. Hayes suggests defining our values by joining two words, a verb and an adverb. This two-word combo should summarize a value you want to live. Loving unconditionally, seeking constantly, teaching inspirationally, or whatever works for you. Think, what verb and adverb combination describes a core value you hold right now? You may notice that just thinking about this, The exercise of coming up with a value statement shifted you into a more thoughtful, less reactive mindset. Step three, make something helpful. Once you've got a firm mind hold on your values, ask yourself this, in relation to the issue that upsets me, what's the most useful thing I can create? Let the answer come up on its own without too much thought. You may end up doing almost nothing, adopting a stray cat, cooking a meal for a trapped neighbor, running for office, cleaning garbage off the road, setting up a meditation spot and using it, whatever works. Getting out of blind rage and into discerning anger is key to creating a better life for ourselves and a better world for everyone. No matter what our opinions are, no matter what we're arguing about, staying out of blind rage and in discerning anger is the difference between living in the inferno and heading toward paradise. Speaking of ancient stories, there's an old Zen parable about a samurai who, after much spiritual seeking, goes on to question a great meditation master. The samurai bows deeply and asks the master, Please, master, tell me, are heaven and hell real? Why should I tell you that, you freaking moron, says the master, or words to that effect. The samurai's face goes beet red with anger. He draws his sword and screams, I'll kill you. The Zen master just says, this is hell. It takes a moment for the samurai to get to the point. The moment it does, he sheaths his sword, kneels, and places his forehead on the ground in a gesture of humility, respect, and gratitude. The Zen master then says, this is heaven. So let's follow the advice from wise folks like Dante. Even when we're angry, let's not topple into that river of boiling blood. Let's examine problems and create everything we can to solve them rather than using all of our energy just to hate and attack our enemies. When we're faced with a choice between discerning anger and blind rage, between heaven and hell, let's choose heaven.
now that we've talked about what anger is, we've talked about the research, we've talked about some practical strategies, I want to leave you with a bit of a meditation and get a little bit spiritual for a moment. I want to share a few quotes with you from spiritual teachers that have made a big difference in my life that I think can help solidify our learnings here and help take them to a bit of a more soul level, which is very important. So if you can, take a deep breath in and out and try to hear this information from the space of your spirit. You see, the acting out, the yelling, the screaming, and even the hitting, all that a person does serves as a defense against the experience of anger. It's a defense against keeping the anger inside where it can be deeply felt. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You're the only one that gets burned. Anger is our outrage about underlying pain. We need the kindness of guidance in order to stay with the suffering of the soul. Without that, it's too painful to tolerate the difficulties in our experience. An inquiry would be impossible. Frequently, for example, we close our hearts with anger and rage. And in order to open to the pain that's there, we have to go through the rage and anger. To do this, sensitivity is needed to recognize that the anger is our outrage about the pain. So if we inquire into what the outrage is about, it will reveal the hurt. Otherwise, it will stay hidden. Experiencing the hurt will then reveal the underlying truth and also open our hearts to the essential quality of compassion. If you want to be mature as a human being, you must see your anger. If you're interested in becoming a truly mature human being, you must conduct yourself according to the highest values you know all the time. It's part of being a mature human being to put in the effort of conducting yourself thusly. If you believe that the integration of your realization should just happen by itself, or that it should be easy, you're not understanding what life is all about, and you're behaving like an infant. To become a gracious, generous, respectful, loving, kind, and clear human being, you have to work at it. It's not going to simply happen. God, someone else, the universe, is not going to do it for you. You have to put effort into it, minute by minute. Otherwise, you won't transform. You'll stay the same. Of course, no one else is saying you have to do this. No one has to do the work. 
It's your choice. If you want to do it, this is what's required. You might say, it's too difficult. I'm angry about it and I don't like it. So, it's difficult. If you want to become mature as a human being, you must see your anger, your hurt, and your frustration and tolerate it. And in spite of it, live like a mature human being. Jealousy, anger, hatred, fear, they're the result of holes. You might have anger as a result of a deficiency, especially as a defense against feeling a hole. If you have no holes, you don't have the emotions of sadness, hurt, jealousy, anger, and fear. You have only essence. That's why these emotions are sometimes called passions, false feelings, or pseudo-feelings. Our whole society is set up to teach us that we should get the outside to fill our holes. We should get value, love, strength, and so on from the outside. We talk about how wonderful it is to do things for other people, or to fall in love, or have a meaningful profession, as if these activities are what give life meaning. We attribute the meaning to the person or thing we think is responsible for it, rather than to our essence, which is actually responsible. Our whole society is arranged so that people fill each other's holes. Civilization as we know it is built around filling holes. It's a product of the personality. It is also the home of the personality. It's what sustains and nourishes the personality. Ultimately, anger is based on rejection. You can accumulate experiences of essence and have mountains of it, but if you have an attitude of acquisition, of achievement, of reaching some goal, then you're increasing your personality. It's just getting bigger, and there is bound to be suffering. There's no other way. But it's possible to be free from suffering when there's no desire to be free from suffering. There is a possibility for freedom, but only when there is no desire for freedom. Ultimately, we need to drop the desire for freedom. This doesn't mean that you can now go about eliminating your desires. What you can do is understand the movement of desire. If you look at yourself in meditation, you'll see that your mind is moving around. Your emotions are moving around. When you're angry, what are you angry about? You're angry because what's happening is not what you want to happen. You don't like what's happening. Somebody does something you don't like, or you experience something you don't like. Ultimately, anger is based on rejection. When you're sad, why are you sad? You're sad because you lost something, or because something's not happening the way you want it to happen, or something you want's not there. So sadness is based on rejection. All emotions are based on the rejection of what is now. And your thoughts are the same way. Complete freedom means no personality at all. Complete freedom means essence, no mind, no emotion, just the present moment. So those are some quotes from Gabor Mate. 
the Buddha, and also another spiritual teacher I like very much named A.H. Almas. So I hope that finishing in this more meditative, spiritual way felt nourishing for you because I feel like that's the missing piece of recovery. And while we're on the topic of spiritual recovery, over on the premium version of the podcast, I'm walking my premium subscribers through a spiritual healing and recovery process called The Hero's Journey. It is going to be a multi-episode, almost 22 episode, when we're all finished, process of walking you through visualizations, meditations, myth and symbol and spirituality. And the process is recovering a connection to our intuition, recovering the lost and broken aspects of ourselves and healing in a way that feels right for us. So if you'd like to take your recovery journey to the next level, you can join us over on the premium version of the podcast premium subscribers also receive an ad-free experience so if you'd like to learn more about that you can visit backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium access don't forget also on the website you can submit a voicemail so if you'd like to share your feedback let me know how does anger feel for you how did this episode resonate for you when you start taking these suggestions out into your real life i love for some of you listeners to start sharing with me how some of these practical suggestions that I'm sharing are helping so that I can play it on the podcast. So use that voicemail feature as creatively as you'd like. And I'm sending you all my love. I can't wait to see you right back here next week. And until then, your assignment is to find out how anger manifests for you create space so that you can really feel how that feeling manifests what does it feel like the surge of emotion does your heart start beating do you feel your palms start to sweat do you feel just a a pulsating energy inside and learn to sit with it long enough to watch that it is in fact a wave that will pass that's the first step and the second step is for you to ask what does your anger want from you what does it need you to change what does it need to teach you so many of us stay in our suffering because we don't allow ourselves to sit in this silence and this is when we start to reconnect to our inner voice our higher self that wisdom that's in you it's in me. It's in each and every one of us. So I hope that this episode was helpful for you. I hope that you've learned so much more about anger and rage. And if you feel like this episode could benefit someone you love, even if they don't identify with the symptoms of BPD, share it with them. That's how we create healing. I hope you have an amazing week. I'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.